on the Community Radio Network. I'm Veronica Elishina, and this week we're talking about the outcome of the federal budget. Who were the winners and losers, and how will Labour leader Bill Shorten respond tonight? This is a very full show, so stay tuned. You're listening to On The Money. The theme of this year's federal budget was a stronger economy and a secure future, and Liberal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has come through with his promise to deliver a surplus, announcing a $7.1 billion worth of collected revenue. This is an election year, with a federal election slated for early May, and as such, the Liberal government has announced some big spending measures. Infrastructure and income tax cuts have taken large slices of the cake, and even climate change received a crumb. On the other hand, underspending on the NDIS was confirmed and New Start reform was notably absent. In the meantime, Labour has criticised the Morrison government's income tax cuts for shortchanging low-income earners and flagged Medicare as a big spending priority. Our budget team has just returned from Canberra and I'm joined here in the studio by Roderick Chambers, Daniel Butler, Max Tillman and Ben Robinson. Welcome everyone. Thank you, Veronica. Yeah, good to be here. If I can start with you, Rod. Tell us what happened at the Treasurer's Address to the Canberra Press Gallery. Oh, well, Veronica, look, this is what happens every time uh, in the, the budget lockup is that around about four o'clock, there's a special press launch, I guess, from the, the Treasurer uh, to give us a bit of a heads up as to what's going on in the address because we don't get the address because we're actually rushing out to, to broadcast. So the address goes on at 7.30 or thereabouts. At this time, I think everything was a little bit late. Uh, and certainly it was a bit late getting up to the um, uh, the, the, the press room where they were uh, giving, giving the address. And the other thing that was interesting this time too, Veronica, was that we had Batman and Robin back again. We had used to have Joe Hockey and Matthias Corman together as a double act, and they used to be standing there and delivering uh, the, the new budget and all the, uh, the information therein and, and, and taking questions from the floor. And this time, and then ScoMo didn't, he was single, and Matthias had to stand in the corner and just watch. But this time we were back to the Batman and Robin Act of old, and there they were up answering questions. And look, here's one, uh, here's one that was asked by one of the press gallery. I think you can hear it uh, a little bit there. Um, he, he was being asked whether they, the bills would be all put to the Senate because there won't be much time given that it's going to be an election uh, happening very or announced very, very soon. So this is what uh, the question and, and Matthias answered. So why, why don't you get the legislation as quickly as you can? Get it out there in the parliament. 
Well, it's, it's very simple. Uh, we've had uh, experience uh, with Labour in the Senate when it comes to comprehensive tax reform. We're just not prepared to haggle with the Senate in the remaining 24 hours uh, in relation to comprehensive tax reform. Uh, we believe uh, that uh, it is going to be up to the Australian people to decide uh, whether they back us in uh, to deliver uh, income tax relief for hard-working families after the election. Uh, and you know, if we get a mandate, we would expect that the Parliament will pass uh, this legislation in the same way as the Parliament passed the uh, last $144 billion worth of income tax relief. We believe that uh, the mandate from the Australian people at the election will strengthen our hand to get this through the Parliament swiftly on the other side of the election. Yeah, so there he's saying that uh, they're not going to put all of the, uh, the the bills up. It's only going to be the essential supply bills and, of course, that, that splash for cash that we've been hearing about for electricity bills. And the interesting thing, Veronica, which we're going to talk about a bit later on, uh, was, of course, that uh, people on New South Allowance were initially excluded from that, but by the next day, that had all changed. Absolutely. Uh, but we'll come back to that, as you said, Rod. Yeah. Um, first, I want to ask you what you think or what kinds of issues uh, the government may encounter with putting through some of these measures. Well, I think the government is looking at measures that are only going to be are only going to definitely go through the Senate. I mean, the Senate's been a big problem for them during the whole term. Uh, you know, senators uh, in one party one minute and, and setting up a new party the next. It's very hard. It's like herding cats, isn't it? Uh, trying to get these people to, uh, to agree to anything in one block. Uh, they only had 24 hours of sitting time. Uh, left. So how are they going to do it? Well, they're just going to put through the basic supply bills. That will get through because after the events of 1975, the Labor Party vowed and declared they would never, ever, ever block a supply bill. So this, no, no, that's, that's just the general essential money that you need to run a government. And uh, so they're not going to, uh, the, Labor's not going to, to block those. So they've got Labor support so that will go through. And the other thing that will go through is the electricity assistance package. Assistance package mm-hmm. Yes. So they're putting those through and that's it. They're not going to bother with anything else. They don't want to have any debate. That's all well, they want to do. Well, it's a bit of a threat, isn't it? They say you're only going to get these if you vote for us. So they're kind of dangling it, dangling it over people's heads. Yeah, that was very much the tenet of the whole of the Treasurer's speech, that uh, this is what we're putting forward, a whole new tax system. You're going to save billions of dollars. You're getting all of, the, all of these goodies only if you re-elect us but then very again, soon. As you just said, like, what is the Senate going to look like after this election? Whether Labor or the Liberals win, God knows what it's going to look like. That's like herding cats or herding catters if, if the Catter Party wins a Senate seat. <laughs> it certainly has a lot of... Feline connotations. Absolutely. And mm. Max Tillman was out on the streets of Canberra during the lockup. Uh, what was the vibe that you were getting from the people with whom you spoke? Uh, well, it was very different to what I can only imagine the vibe to be inside the lockup. Of course, you know, many journalists and politicians do live in somewhat of a vacuum and an echo chamber when it comes to things like the federal budget. And that was very clear when we were out on the streets. Obviously, issues like Healthcare, education, this election, climate change being a massive point of contention. Um, those are things that people were certainly aware of. Uh, whether they necessarily cared so much about how much money was being invested in them is an entirely different story in itself. So we were hearing a lot of people talking about um, particularly education and climate change as issues that they certainly wanted to see addressed. Um, but I don't think many people understood entirely the distinction between the budget and the election, which is something that the Liberal Party were trying to make deliberately opaque. Um, so, yeah, we, what we were seeing was a lot of people who were very, very politically aware. Obviously, living in Canberra, it's very difficult to avoid politics. 
but yeah, we saw a lot of people who who certainly cared about and the next election. And had some very strong opinions and, and, yes. about certain And we've heard things. from them too, haven't we? We've got a bit of uh, tape on that, haven't we? We have, we yeah, do. Right. We should play it. We should play it right now. Education's very important. Um, housing, sure. housing, housing commissions, um, yeah, more funding into that. I suppose just more money spent on hospitals and um, less money wasted on Nauru and all those. Maybe more focus on education and maybe like health services for younger people because going to the doctor for a young person paying $90 is a lot of money for a student to pay to go to the doctor. Live export. We're, we're That's both vegetarians, so <laughs> that, would have, that would have some impact, I think. So it's what the live export gets rid of all the meats and you can be vegetarian. Is that the idea there? I'm not entirely sure, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think one thing that, that was just in there for a second, which uh, is, is very true, is an element of political fatigue. So I think it's coming to a point now where we've, we've had so many prime ministers over the last few years that people are becoming quite frankly, sick and tired of it. Um, and I think a lot of issues that a few elections ago when we had consistent prime ministers getting through to the end of their four-year terms wouldn't have been something that could potentially swing an election. Now we've had so many prime ministers that I think people are starting to pick up on what would have many years ago been smaller issues, minor issues, um, and they're being blown out of proportion. Maybe not isn't, isn't the best term to use, but they're certainly becoming far more relevant. They're moving to the forefront. So yes. moving now from the streets into Parliament House, uh, Daniel, you and Rod were inside the lockup. What was the yeah, atmosphere right. in there like? Uh, well, it's, um, yeah, it's very particular. It's a very stressed environment. You're trying to get your head around what is a, obviously a very complex uh, uh, document. I have trouble enough with my household budget, let alone uh, a budget for the entire country. Uh, so we we had our heads down um, pretty seriously for the for the whole time. We were in the room with uh, the Guardian and the New Daily, so we're, uh, you know everyone just uh, had their heads down trying to get their uh, heads around this very complex document. And the other thing so is a lot of head work. Well, a lot of yeah. a lot of head work, as far as I could see. And you had fewer numbers <clears throat> this time around than you did we, last year. We, we did. We had reduced numbers, but we had a, a slick team, uh, mm-hmm. ably led by um, Mr. Chambers here. Uh, but, but the other thing is you, you have to really keep your eyes open because uh, a lot of stuff is not necessarily trumpeted in the Treasurer's speech, it's but hidden away in uh, in all those pluses and minuses. So you have to really comb through and uh, and uh, look for those uh, uh, more interesting hidden figures. So the atmosphere is pretty concentrated in there, I would say. Absolutely. And you were looking at the infrastructure portfolio. I, I, I was. So just, I had- just one of them. You were yeah. looking at plenty more, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's one of the uh, portfolios, portfolios I was looking at, but it was enough to keep me busy, that's for sure. The government announced um, uh, $25 billion in extra spending over the next 10 years. They announced $75 billion just two years ago. There's an extra $25 billion in there now. Uh, there's a lot of extra spending to the tune of billions over the forward estimates. Uh, roads and rail, it's all going towards roads and rail. Uh, some of the bigger ticket items, for example, here in New South Wales, we're getting a $3.2 billion rail line that's uh, hooking into the existing uh, state network from St Mary's that will then go over to the uh, second airport that's just being uh, built out in Western Sydney now. But a lot of other projects as well. For example, down in Victoria, they're getting fast rail between Melbourne and Geelong. Uh, That's uh, to the tune of billions as well, I think. Uh, North-South Corridor from South Australia to Queensland. There's a lot of of money there. But, But when they say fast... 
How fast? Well, I, it's I, not that I, fast, I, is I, it? Sp- it's is, not that fast rail. It is not that fast rail. It's yeah. not the sort of bullet trains that you see in uh, China or Japan. That's for sh- that's for sure. Uh, but I did speak to the uh, infrastructure boffins mm. at the uh, at the uh, lockup, and they said it would halve the travel time from Melbourne and Geelong down to I think it was thirty two minutes. That isn't bad, is it? It's not. It's not bad, and it's really helpful for uh, you know injecting a bit of life into the regional communities, perhaps encouraging people to move out there. If it's easier to get back into the city, that'll ease you congestion. know congestion. That was another big hit in the budget. Big congestion, congestion, the yeah. congestion busting fund or whatever the whatever it was called. That's going to focus on uh, you know bottlenecks, uh, halving commuter times. Uh, uh, yeah, they're really. Um, focusing on that. Another aspect of that um, policy actually was the commuter car park fund. $500 million going towards that. That's where they build car parks basically basically at um, public transport hubs. But, uh, or at will, anywhere. At, uh, yeah, just... Well, it's supposed to be about transport hubs so that they can um, you know, take people off the roads, but I've spoken mm. to an expert that thinks that's actually not such a good policy. Oh. I've got a grab there if you wanted to play that. but Sure. What's it called? It's called Infrastructure Grab. <laughs> infrastructure Grab. <laughs> clues in the name, Rod. There it is. Okay. We'll just play that right now. The space around a public transport interchange, that should be the most valuable space in our cities because it's the most connected space. Instead of having offices or shops or places for people to live, you're putting that aside to store cars, which is about the least efficient thing that you can be doing with places next to a railway. It um, actually doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, there you go. Heard it from the experts. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, you spoke about regional uh, areas, Danny. So a lot of the spending is actually concentrated in marginal seats. Uh, indeed. Uh, regional and city uh, um uh, if you live in a marginal seat, you can expect to have a new road um, pretty soon. Uh, for example, here in Sydney, there's $50 million uh, heading towards the King George's Road. That's in the seat of Banks. That's held on um, 1.39% or something. The seat of Reed is getting $50 million uh, for the Ring Road there. That's held on a margin of less than 5%. If you go out to WA, even some of the seats that have uh, a, a bigger margin, um, even they're getting cash injections as well. So a lot of the spending, as ever, being focused uh, in the marginal seats. Well, what's different, Rod? What indeed. Uh, Well, we might take a short break now. We'll be back just in a few seconds. My name is François Carrière. I am at the UTS Business School and you are listening to On The Money, summing up finance in one easy bite. So welcome back. You're listening to On The Money, coming to you live from the studios of Radio 2SER and broadcast around Australia via the Community Radio Network. I'm Rani Kailashina and joining me in the studio uh, is our Canberra budget team, Rod, Daniel, Max and Ben Robinson. So Max, you managed to land an interview with the member for Kennedy, Bob Catter, and Mr Catter has a reputation for really knowing his electorate. Uh, what were some of his major concerns for North Queensland? Well, yeah, I think 
If there's one thing that you can truly say about Bob Catter, it is that he knows the seat of Kennedy. Uh, he's obviously held it for a very long time. He was practically born into politics, um, and he's got a bit of a Catter dynasty at the moment. His son, Robbie, and his father, of course, a, a politician as well. So I think one of the big issues for him is obviously agriculture. Uh, agriculture occupies about 88.4% of the state of Queensland in terms of uh, geographically. So it's a huge part of not only the economy of Queensland, but the culture. Um, and, and that's very evident in North Queensland, Innisfail, and areas like that, uh, which are big grazing and, and sugar country as well. Um, but at the moment, his big issue was rural debt, which of course is one of the things that many people have criticised the uh, Royal Commission into financial services for somewhat glossing over. Uh, agricultural banking was certainly addressed, but it wasn't addressed as much as a lot of farmers and Bob Catter himself would have liked it to have been. And we heard from Bob Catter himself. And what did the farmers get? The farmers got more debt. More debt from the banks. I mean, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's quite exciting, doesn't he, Max? He does. He does. He really does care. I think you, you, you truly understand how much he cares about his electorate when you're sitting no more than three feet away from him. And Mr Catter also has some strong opinions about the government's proposal to allocate $30 million for Australian farmers to better access international export markets. So let's have a listen to that. And you've got new markets for us. Where? You did, we already had Japan. We already had Korea. So what did free trade deal do? Absolutely bloody nothing. Yeah, he. Uh, what he's talking about right there is, of course, free trade deals. Uh, I'm, I'm quoting some figures from the Queensland government's 2018 agricultural snapshot at the moment, just to give you an idea of what Bob's talking about, because uh, as, as theatrical as he may be, he's slightly uh, less focused on figures in that little grab. So um, there's a billion dollars going to the United States, $2 billion to Japan, $1.4 billion to China, and uh, $1.6 billion to Korea, which were obviously the major countries that he mentioned. Um, now, his issue with these export markets is that at the end of the day, um, for the bottom line for most Queensland farmers, the money really isn't returning to them. Um, and that's something he has a big issue with because obviously Queensland accounts for nearly half of the beef production in Australia um, and the average debt of beef farmers is over half a million dollars. So there is a huge amount of debt that these farmers are having to suffer with and uh, Bob's not happy about it. No, he's definitely not. So, Ben, over to you now. Um, we're going Hello. to talk a little about Labor's response mm, to the which, federal budget. by my count, should be delivered in about 11 minutes. So stay tuned for that one. Now, they're doing pretty well this year of keeping it under under wraps. We don't really know exactly what Bill Shorten's going to stay, but like every year, there's been a couple leaks and a couple announcements. So we'll go through those now. The big one's going to be tax, just like the budget. Labor's say that they can do better for tax relief than the government can. And they're going to focus on the 3 million Australians who are earning below $40,000 a year. So I've just got some figures here. Under Labor's plan... A retail worker on $35,000 a year would get a tax cut of $350 compared to 255 in the Liberals' plan. And if you're a part-time nurse on 40k a year, you get a tax cut of about 508 bucks a year under Labor compared to 480 under the Liberals. So it's very clear that Labor and Liberals are in a, uh, they're in a bidding war to try and outbid the public in terms of what they can offer in tax relief. And then there's another thing as well 
which we don't really know anything about. In a statement that was released, I think it was either this morning or yesterday, is a major healthcare announcement. Now, we don't know any specifics about that, but it is quite eerily uh, similar to the whole Medicare campaign that was big focus of the 2016 election, and which really came very close to Labour, you know, to Bill Shorten taking over the keys to the lodge. So it is, I think they're going to really run hard with that to try and see if they can see if lightning can strike sw- twice. Well, so I, th- I think uh, Tanya Plebisek's health, isn't she? She is health. That's yeah, right. and, and we saw her in Parliament House and she was looking looking pretty happy, actually. So maybe it's something to do with the PBS. Uh, there could be something there coming up in the budget. because Perhaps. Been, yeah. Perhaps. Warren Hogan is the industry professor, professor sorry, at UTS Business School and he's a former chief economist at ANZ and he joined the On The Money team down in Canberra for the budget and uh, this is uh, what he had to say. One of the big debates around the economy at the moment is whether households are going to bear up under the weight of falling house prices and low wage growth. And some people are calling for, for rate cuts. Um, some of us have been saying, well, maybe a bit of fiscal stimulus would be good. And, and we seem to have got that. And that's not typical of politicians. Usually they're slow to move on these things. So the um, increase in the low and middle income tax offset, the instant asset write-off for small and medium business are both going to have a pretty immediate effect on the economy and probably at a time, I think, that it's going to need it. So that was Warren Hogan, and it doesn't really come as any surprise for a man of those credentials to say that he makes quite a few interesting points there. Firstly is the point that it is very rare for politicians to deliver on pretty much anything they say they will, let alone a major tax cut initiative that is going to be spread out over 10 years that's very ambitious for any government to do, let alone in a political system that's quite volatile like Australia. So that is you know, quite admirable. And also, Australia has lacked a strong fiscal policy initiative for quite a while. Over the past few years, we've tend to rely a lot on the RBA and their rates cuts to try and uh, spike up the economy. But, you know, that isn't, hasn't exactly worked. We've had the, been at the same low rating since about August 2016. Doesn't look like it's going to change much anytime soon. Definitely yeah, not before I mean, the there's election. not much petrol in the tank in terms of well, rate cuts. how much it? lower can they go than yeah. 1.5, 1.25? Yeah. And what difference is that going to make? Mm. So we've, uh, a lot of governments are kind of steered clear of real strong fiscal stimulus pretty much since uh, the Labor years after the GFC when there was a big kind of injection to try and, you know, get the economy afloat. So, but, you know, since, you know, for the past few years, wage growth has been pretty lacklustre, so is uh, consumer confidence, inflation hasn't been too great either. So it is good to finally see a government, you know, take it in their own hands and take control. So one last question before we uh, have to wrap up for tonight. Uh, Rod, the Morrison government has backflipped on their energy rebate announcement and decided to extend it to uh, New Start recipients. That's the uh, $75 one-off payment. And it's becoming a bit of a hot topic for the selection campaign. The middle-income earners under the, uh, the, the the Frydenberg proposal, we're going to get 1080 back. If you're under 90000 and over, I think it was, I don't know, 42000 47000 if I'm by memory. And, uh, but it goes right down. And this is what uh, Andrew Lee, when I spoke to him, he was saying there's nothing there for uh, lower-income people. And then I asked him also about New Start, New Start, hasn't been touched uh, for so long. It's been very about low. 25 and, years, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is what he has to say when I asked him about New Start. 
It hasn't. It's too low, and we'd uh, we'd put in place a new start review. It's the same process we took to the pension in two thousand and seven, not identifying a dollar increase before the election, but identifying a review process, which in the case of the pension led to the biggest increase in the pension in its hundred year history, bringing a million people out of poverty. But just one sign of the. Uh, contempt with which this government holds New Start recipients. Uh, the one-off $75 uh, payment uh, was to exclude people on, on New Start when the budget came down last night. This morning we've had the extraordinary spectacle of the coalition changing their own budget. Uh, you know, the thing should be done in a ring binder rather than uh, in, in a book uh, at the, the, for the fact that the morning after the budget uh, they're now changing it to put uh, back in uh, people like uh, New Start recipients, uh, recipients of double orphan pension, things like that. Yeah, so I, I like the ring binder thing there, uh, Veronica. That was that was something that uh, something that Andrew Lee often pops into little little you know quips like that into his his answers. And uh, certainly, you know, it's interesting to see that Labor won't commit to increasing New Start either. No, they won't. But they do. Have They're going to have some, a review. Absolutely, but they do have some initiatives for uh, lower income earners in terms of tax cuts. We support uh, tax cuts over the next term of government for those earning less than $125,000. I mean, why wouldn't we, Rod? These were our ideas. Uh, We proposed them uh, just after the last budget. The Liberals voted against them. They've now backflipped and decided they want to uh, provide more tax relief to low- and middle-income Australians. We'll support that. They left out an important group, people earning under $40,000, and if we win office, we'll fix that up and ensure those people aren't hurt by the Liberals' uh, contempt for those earning low low incomes. Yeah, so that was was Andrew there talking about that they would would be supporting uh, the bills going through the Senate. So it was interesting that, that uh, Senator Cormann uh, was saying that, oh, you know, it's a problem with Bill Shorten putting through the bills and he wasn't going to do that. And, uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Bill Shorten Roderick. not going to put through the bill. And so, it, you know, it was interesting to say to see here that they were going to do that and uh, and not uh, there wasn't going to be that sort of problem. So I don't know, you know, it, it's uh, you're getting this argy-bargy. Uh, we are getting a lot of... Um, different uh, readings from what uh, Bill Shorten is going to say, but it certainly does sound like a bit of a bidding war. Perhaps we should just go around the table and see what everyone thinks uh, might be some of the big top-line uh, things in Bill Shorten's budget. Which is coming up very shortly. It is indeed. I, I'm i very keen to see what this healthcare initiative is going to be. They've, I'm surprised there hasn't been any leaks from within the party itself or any major announcements, so I think that'll be something really to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and, and Max, what, what do you think is going to be coming up? Uh, well, I, I do agree with Ben. It feels uh, very much like uh, Mr. Burns' mystery box, if anyone <laughs> remembers that Simpsons episode. Um, but I, I feel that it's obviously something that they are biding their time for. Um, so I think we should all be excited for political journalists like ourselves. This is the sort of stuff that we wake up for. But will the public be yelling boo or boo earns? Who knows? <laughs> well, Veronica, it doesn't look like we've got much more time left. That's right. Um, that's all we have time for on The Money this week. Thanks to our team for your insights. That's Roderick Chambers, Daniel Butler, Max Tillman and Ben Robertson. Uh, Labor's budget response is due to be aired at 7.30pm. So if you're a budget nerd like we are, you may want to find that broadcast now. If your preference is Sydney's current affairs, stay tuned for Razor's Edge. On the Money is produced in the studios of Radio 2SCR for the Community Radio Network. And I'm Veronica Lashina. We'll be back again next week to give you the inside running on all things financial. Thanks for your company. <laughs>